Hello, hello everyone and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. I hope you're all having a wonderful Wednesday as you're listening to this or if you're listening to it a few days later. I hope you're having a wonderful day, whatever day you happen to be listening. If you're new here, my name is Jessie Fritz and I am the host here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. We talk all things living your best life in the most holistic and healing way possible. I have a lot of people on the show who talk about chronic illness. We talk a lot about um, stories with chronic issues, autoimmune disease, but then we also just talk about life and chronically healing throughout your life and just continuing to find things that make you feel your best, different modalities, different experts, just things like that. So it's all inclusive of healing over here. So thank you so much for listening. But today's episode is actually with Melissa Groves Azero. So Melissa helps women with PCOS regain regular periods and optimize their fertility using a root cause food as medicine approach. So in this episode, if you're listening right now and you don't have PCOS, I still think it's important, especially if you're a woman, to listen in as we talk about more than just PCOS. In fact, we touched a lot on just hormonal health issues in general. We talked about fertility and just like how the quote unquote grinding culture is affecting our hormones. We also dove into how our current lifestyle, like I said, is affecting our hormonal health and what are some of those necessary changes that we can make to be living our best lives. We actually got into talking about cycles and fertility and hormonal health. And for me, we talked a little bit about the questions that I was even having having surrounding fertility and how to have like the best hormonal health that I can possibly have as I move into a period in my life where fertility is something that I care about. So I hope that you guys are excited to listen to this episode. Melissa was wonderful. She had she gave us so many tidbits of, of information that I know y'all are going to love. We talked about her own hormonal health story. So, so yeah, make sure that you listen in to today's episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the Chronically Healing Podcast. I put out episodes every single week. And if you ever have an episode request, if there's something that you really want to hear from, someone that you really want to hear from, or anything from me personally, one of my personal health stories, just let me know. You can always email me or head on over to Instagram, which is actually a good tidbit. Anybody that listens to episodes before this, I did change my Instagram handle. I know, big deal, but I did. So it's no longer chronically.healing just because the podcast is called Chronically Healing, but not everything I talk about over on Instagram is associated with the podcast. So I wanted that to be kind of like all incorporating, all inclusive. I keep saying incorporating. I mean inclusive. So make sure that you head on over to Instagram if you have any any requests that you would like to see or hear, I should say, on the podcast. It is now just my name. So it's Jesse underscore underscore Fritz. So I will have that in the show notes, but I did change it. It's no longer chronically.healing. Anyway, I think that's all the updates I have to give you. I just got off of a wonderful call with a coach who is really powerful in like the feminine space. So I'm feeling really good, but there is a dog barking outside. So I'm going to just jump into the episode. Let's listen to Melissa's story and I hope that you all love it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today on the show, I have Melissa Groves Azero on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and chat. Of course, I am too. We're going to talk about all things PCOS and about your book. And I'm just, I'm so excited to jump into all of this stuff. I've had conversations about PCOS before. My best friend actually has PCOS and endometriosis. Um, that's always a mouthful for me to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm excited to jump in. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about who you are and what you do? So I'm a registered dietitian specializing in women's health. So I exclusively work with women's health and hormone issues. So the primary condition I work with is PCOS. I I do also work with women struggling with fertility issues or other hormone imbalances like endometriosis, um, you know, painful periods, that kind of thing. I use a functional medicine approach. So what that means is I try to identify the root cause Mm -hmm. or causes for every person because they're different. So my treatment approach is very individualized by the person. Mm -hmm. I love that. So um, I just recently got into like functional medicine just a few years ago. I have a hormonal health issue. I have, <laughs> I have um, Hashimoto's, so I have a thyroid <laughs> issue, but I've always struggled with um, just hormonal issues in general throughout my whole life. That's why I started birth control with hormonal acne. And, you know, it's just cons- consistently gone from the, basically the time I got my period until now I'm 32. <laughs> so, so that's, that's super interesting. Um, can you Explain to people who are listening um, who might not know what PCOS is or endometriosis is, anything around that? Yes, so PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, Despite the name, it's actually about more than just your ovaries. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's actually a really complicated metabolic disorder and it affects uh, basically every system in the body. you know, we don't really know what causes it. Uh, it's pretty common. It's about, you know, five to 15% of, of women of reproductive age have PCOS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's one of the biggies and I, you know, see it quite a bit in my practice. Um, you know, most women that, that I work with are right around your age. They're, mm-hmm. you know, recently married and they're, they're just starting to think about, oh, maybe I should, you know, see what's up with these missing periods because mm-hmm. I can't have a baby in the future. Um, so usually they, they get diagnosed, but it's almost always, you know, kind of what you were saying. Um, they go on the pill pretty early for something like acne or irregular cycles, and then they find themselves at 30 or 32 being diagnosed um, with this condition because they go off the pill and their periods don't come back. So mm-hmm. that's one of the, the diagnostic criteria is irregular or absent periods or ovulation. Um, one of the other ones is high androgens. Those are the male hormones and those, you know, when they're too high can cause symptoms we don't like, like mm-hmm. acne and facial hair and, um, you know, male pattern hair loss. Um, and then um, you either can, you might, or you might not actually have cysts on your ovaries, which they mm-hmm. would see on an ultrasound. Um, so that's PCOS. Um, endometriosis is really you know, sort of an inflammatory 
condition. It's driven by high estrogen levels. Um, and it's when your endometrial tissue or your lining grows outside of your uterus. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that can cause pain. It can cause, you know, abnormal bleeding. Um, most women with, with endometriosis are, are in pretty significant pain, you yeah. know, that happens cyclically with the month. Mm-hmm. What kind of, um, I, I want to say the word signifies, but that's not the right word, <laughs> but like for an irregular period, what does that mean? So for example, um, I think when I've heard a regular period, I've just assumed that means you don't get your period at all, or it's like a little bit off. Is it normal for it to be a little bit off? Like, for example, personally, mine kind of fluctuates between the like 30 to 33 days. Um, and if I'm really stressed like this past month, it can even be a little bit longer. So I'm just wondering like, what does that mean? And what is like, quote unquote, normal and what's not? Yeah. The medical definition of regular periods is anything between 21 days and 35 days. Those are kind of the outer bounds. If it's happening more often than that or less often than that, um, you know, that's, that's typically a sign that something is off. Um, yeah, I know 28 days is one of those, like, everyone thinks that's perfect and that's what everyone has. Um, very few women actually have a 28 day cycle and ovulate on day 14. Like their app says, they do. um, (laughs) you know, I'm very religious. I'm like 20, 26, 27 days, but like, I ovulate on day 12 or 13. So, you know, for me, that's normal. And, you know, I definitely will say that, that all of the stress in the world right now is is really throwing off so many cycles. Everyone's having irregular cycles right now because we're just under so, so much stress at this point. Yeah. And so the whole cycle, like you said, with yours can just be kind of different for everyone. How can you, for example, um, I just had a moment of like, do I want to say this on the podcast? <laughs> but, um, you know, my husband and I have talked about having kids soon and we have quote unquote tried for maybe, maybe two months. Um, but it hasn't been super specific because I truly have no idea when I ovulate. So how do you even begin to like learn something like that about your body? Yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different methods. Um, it's really great, you know, especially when you're in that phase of starting to think about it, like just get to know your cycles and what mm-hmm. those look like for you so that then when you're ready, you know exactly the right time to, you know, do it and, and, um, have a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend a couple of different things. Um, you can buy cheapo uh, ovulation test strips on yeah. Amazon. Um, I like those because it's like when they they're cheap, you don't mind peeing on a stick every single day. Yeah. Um, you know, the drugstore ones are a little prohibitive when when it comes to that kind of regular testing. Um, ovulation test strips can only predict that you might ovulate. Mm. They don't confirm that you did. Um, So really the only way to know for sure is, um, you know, you could either go to the doctor and get a progesterone uh, check Mm. or they can, you know, ultrasound if they're monitoring your cycles for fertility purposes Um, or, um, you know, the easy at home way is by tracking your basal body temperature. So 
taking your temperature at the same time every morning. Um, and what happens is you see a very definite spike um, right. after ovulation has happened, and that confirms that it, it actually happened. Um, of course, that's, you know, kind of a hassle. Most women, you know, depending on how long you're trying for and how long you're monitoring your cycles, um, it's, you know, kind of a pain in the butt to take your temperature every morning for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all, all kinds of devices out there that you can use. Um, I'm a fan of uh, TempDrop. It's like a little device you wear on your arm. Um, there's the Ava bracelet. There's mm-hmm. the OvuSense that you actually wear internally. Um, okay. And it, it tracks your temperature overnight. So it kind of takes the the work out of it when it's happening automatically. And then you just kind of, you know, transfer those, those temperatures into your chart on an app and you'll be able to see your patterns. Got it. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, I feel like I lived, you know, my whole adult livelihood so far with trying not to get pregnant and doing things not to get pregnant. So when you start to, um, you start to want to get pregnant, it's, it becomes cr- like there have been, I, for example, until maybe a year ago, I didn't realize that it was only, there's only like a couple of days that you can get pregnant, right? Yeah, it's, they generally say it's about six. Um, and the reason for that, um, you know, the day you ovulate, the egg only survives for about 24 hours. So it okay. kind of has that window to get fertilized. Um, but sperm can actually live inside mm-hmm. your uterus and fallopian tubes for up to four day, four or five days or so, depending on the environment. So um, as long as it's in there to greet the egg when it when it comes out. But um, no, I mean there are there are lots of women who use um, fertility tracking exactly for that purpose. You know, not getting pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. Once once you've confirmed that ovulation has happened, then it's you know safe. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's true though. It's such a shift from like how you spend your whole twenties. You know, mm-hmm. trying to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Now I'm like, wait, wait. I don't. It's like a, a total mind shift. Like <laughs> just the things you have to think about and focus on. Um, I'm wondering if there. I mean, this is kind of a broad question, and I understand that you work with people individualized. Um, but if someone was just getting to the start of like. I really, whether you want to get pregnant or not, you just want to take care of your hormonal health. You're noticing that maybe your periods aren't feeling as good as you think that they should. Are there like, quote unquote, easy lifestyle changes that you could kind of, that you might recommend for people could um, start with, with hormonal health? Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's not the sexy stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I would say the primary thing you need to make sure you're doing is getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to focus on lowering your stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need to make sure that your gut is in good shape and you're feeding yourself plenty of fiber and plants to keep your gut healthy so that it getting rid of those hormones. Um, yeah, it's really, really sleep stress and digestion are kind of the biggies. And then beyond that, you know, there's different things you can do for different hormone imbalances. Um, Mm -hmm. but those are, those are kind of non-negotiables. Yeah. Yeah. All the things that, that everybody tells you in any kind of (laughs) health journey, right. But it's, 
it really is so important, even just in, in like everyday health to be paying attention to those things. I know um, with Hashimoto's for the longest time, I was focused on my stress and I was focused on what I was eating, but I still wasn't sleeping well. And I was mm-hmm. still feeling really awful. And it wasn't until I started working with someone who really focused in on my sleep that I didn't even realize how light of a sleeper I was, how much I was, my body was waking up. I wasn't getting good sleep until I started getting good sleep. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my body has not been sleeping for basically 30 years. Um, so, so yeah, those are also important. Sleep is so life-changing. I actually had one client who really, you know, she worked a kind of high-stress job. She was stressed all the time. She wasn't sleeping well or much. And um, after about a month of working together and focusing really hard on that piece of it, her husband actually got on a call with me to thank me for making her nicer. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's, it's amazing, you know, how much nicer you are when you have, you know, you're well rested and have energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially too with, with the kind of like, I don't know, grind culture that we're in that I feel like we're slowly coming out of in a way, but I think that it's still, especially with people who are younger. Um, for me, I was kind of like, my body was like, girl, you're not grinding anymore. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think with that, it can be really detrimental, especially to women's hormones and just like how we're feeling. I, I entirely, um, I don't blame, but I do think that huge root causes of my thyroid issues were due to, well, now I believe lack of sleep, but also just extreme stress, putting myself, you know, working multiple jobs. And obviously some people have have to do this to survive, um, but finding ways then to kind of counterbalance that the best way you can. Yeah, I think we're in a really weird place with that right now, too, because, you know, people are finding that they have more time because they're not commuting to work necessarily. But on the other hand, they're also kind of always on because work is always on their phone. You know, anytime they pick up their phone, they're connecting to their job. And so it's really it's hard to establish boundaries Mm -hmm. um, that you need to, but they're so, so important for, you know, stress management and sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to go with that, I know personally, I haven't, I got really good after basically burning out from my job of, of taking it off my phone. It's not on my phone, but with everything going on, I got really bad at using social media as a distraction to kind of avoid how I was feeling about what everything, <laughs> everything that's going on or being stressed at work or things like that. And, and in the moment it's like, Oh yeah, I feel, I feel good. I'm watching these bloggers on Instagram and they look so happy and I'm so happy. But then later I'm like, Oh no, this actually isn't affecting me the way that I need it to. <laughs> Yeah, and it's anything like that, you know, um, I don't know, social media is not like fun for me to scroll mindlessly anymore because it's just, you know, people reaching out to me who want to get in touch with me. Um, It really is work now. but you know, you could do the same thing with Netflix. Netflix, it's so yeah. easy. I remember um, when I was binging Scandal. Mm. Um, what would happen? Because every episode ends with a cliffhanger, and so you'd finish the episode and then be like, "Oh, I need to watch the next one." And then suddenly, it's like one in the morning, and <laughs> you know, it's like I've got to go to bed. Um, so I actually, at one point, had stopped, um, started stopping the episode halfway through. 
Mm. So I would start the next one and I would stop at the halfway point so that at least I could avoid that cliffhanger. I need to figure out what's going on, you know? Yeah. I love that. That's such a good (laughs) idea. That's because that's how they get you. That's how you keep going. And then all of a sudden Netflix is like, are you sure you want to keep watching? (laughs) Oh, if you get that warning, that's a bad sign for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. I hear you. So how I'm interested, how did you kind of get into this world of hormonal health? Did you deal with any issues on your own or were you just really interested in it? Yeah, no, I definitely did. Um, you know, I I worked in advertising as mm-hmm. my previous career, so I know all about the hustle and the grind in New yeah. York City. Um, and I was on the pill from you know eighteen, you know, pretty much straight through. And there were there were a couple points I would try to go off it in my twenties mm-hmm. and just couldn't. Like it was, you know, it was horrible. I um had really painful, heavy periods. And, um, you know, for me, it was more of a mood thing. And I actually wasn't diagnosed until much, much later with PMDD, which is basically like really intense PMS to the point that it, it affects your life. Like I literally could not get off the couch, um, for like, you know, I tell people it's like I had one good week out of every month where I felt like a normal human being. Um, So I knew there was, you know, something there. I didn't really, not until, you know, I went back to school and I was learning more about um, functional medicine um, and, you know, hormones and root causes. Um, Not until then did I really understand that was something I could do something about. Um, Mm. You know, a hormone imbalance isn't, the problem. It's, it's being caused by something else. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in my case, like doing that deeper digging, you know, my genetics, my methylation, which is my, you know, detox was terrible. So like I was just getting all of these estrogen symptoms. Um, so anyway, so when I opened my practice, I wanted to focus on that and, Mm. um, on particular in, on PCOS. Um, because I felt like that was a really underserved population. Like Mm -hmm. um, conventional medicine basically just tells you to lose weight and they give you the pill um, and they say, come back when you're ready for fertility treatments. And um, I just, you know, really strongly believe and I've seen over and over again, the difference that nutrition and lifestyle can play Mm -hmm. um, in symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And it's like, it's not always the thing that we want to hear. It's not that it's these like quick fixes, you know, that, and usually, unfortunately, by the time people decide they want to have kids, they like, they want to have them then. (laughs) At least that's how it was for me. (laughs) And, and like, you know, coming to terms with the fact that it might take a little bit longer. And especially like for me, I was on birth control for so many years and like letting your body detox detox through that. But I appreciate hearing your story because it's always interesting. I feel like a lot of people um, who get into the world of functional medicine, it's because of a personal reason. It's because either, you know, I've had, I've talked to doctors who were in um, like Western medicine and they actually switched to functional medicine just based on like how they were treated or how someone else was treated. And so it's just, it's always interesting to hear how people got, got into that space. It's really funny. So I'm, I'm on the, the National um, Functional Medicines Board and just mm. talking with some of my colleagues about 
the really weird mystery illnesses that some of us have struggled with throughout the Mm. years. And it's like, is it because we don't go to a doctor for something like typical because we know how to, how to handle that? Or I don't know, is this how we all got into functional medicine in the first place? Um, You know, if you heard the diagnoses on our board, it's pretty crazy. Really? (laughs) Just like so many things that people have have struggled with and dealt with. And it's like, oh, I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I hope that as like, we continue in this life that functional medicine, I think it's, I mean, it wasn't even something I had knew about years ago. Um, So I I hope that it continues to be something that people just even use in tandem with Western medicine or with whatever feels comfortable to them. I think for me personally, um, you know, I still go to, to regular Western medicine doctors for different things, but when it comes to my Hashimoto's, I've had the most luck in functional and with my naturopath. Um, so like, just like though in, in general, for example, like, you know, making a, a lifestyle change of not eating gluten, my endocrinologist was like, Oh, that's dumb. It's fine. You're fine. Gluten. That's a fad. And I was like, but I actually notice a difference. <laughs> and he's like, nah, <laughs> that's not true. And I'm like, okay, wait. <laughs> I'm sure you'll relate to this because my um, few years back, my TSH was like 4.6 mm. and my PCP was like, never said anything about it. Never thought that was, you know, abnormal. Um so yeah, I basically go to my naturopath. I don't have Hashimoto's. I go to my mat- naturopath to manage that. And then I just inform my, my PCP. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, it's not, no, I'm not going to talk to you about this. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. Um, so how you, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but how do you specifically work with women? So I start with the big root causes mm-hmm. of, of PCOS, um, you know, in particular. Um, the biggest and the most common is insulin resistance. So I see that as a foundational step. Um, I consider PCOS to be insulin resistant until otherwise. So mm-hmm. um, it's not a bad way for, for anyone to eat, really, to eat a blood sugar balancing diet. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I know I've experienced if I eat, say, pancakes in the morning, um, you know, two hours later, I'm having a crash and I'm hangry and I'm irritable and, and all the things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, eating the balanced blood sugar is, you know, step number one. Um, we work on it and anti-inflammatory diet because inflammation is common. Um, and then, you know, we sort of test to get some of those, those specific answers. Um, you know, what does their insulin resistance look like? What does their inflammation look like? I always do a thorough t- a thyroid panel on women with PCOS because those are kind of, kind of besties, you know, yeah. um, not necessarily always Hashimoto's, but, you know, some sort of subclinical hypothyroid going on. Um, Once we get the test results in from all their labs, their hormone tests, um, then we're really able to customize the treatment plan for them. So that's where, you know, I can recommend adding in those functional foods that might help with, you know, an issue if they're having, if their estrogen's going down, you know, a certain pathway, then we get them to eat more cruciferous vegetables or, you know, incorporate 
you know, things like flaxseed in their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to see what their hormones are actually doing before making recommendations like that. Um, we do some more customization in terms of, you know, carb tolerance, because mm-hmm. every woman with PCOS has, you know, a different amount of carbs or a different time of day that carbs work better for her in her mm-hmm. diet or a different type of carbs. So, um, you know, then we really customize it and, and, you know, it makes it really attainable and, you know, you're kind of able to incorporate those principles no matter where you are. Um, you know, I definitely have the experience of working late at the office and, mm-hmm. you know, you're ordering takeout for the fourth time that week. Um, so if you're, if you're on a really rigid diet, you can't, really feel good while you're doing that. But the way that that I teach women how to eat allows them to sort of always cobble together a PCOS friendly meal um, Mm -hmm. based on what's what's available. Yeah. That's so interesting. I've personally I've had my hormones tested before and my the person I was working with did say that there was a little bit of insulin resistance there, but it wasn't anything off the charts. None of my hormones were off the charts. Um, so it wasn't, she didn't say that I had PCOS or anything like that, but, um, she, she was pretty focused on a keto diet. Um, which for me personally, just, I did not feel well. So, but I couldn't ever find that, that, um, middle ground and I'm still kind of working through that, but, but that's interesting what you said about, um, blood sugar balancing diet and like focusing on that because that I know <laughs> that I know has like worked for me. I, I remember I got into like this phase with like acai bowls and I was like, Oh, I'm going to make myself acai bowl. It's all healthy. I don't normally love fruit, but I'm like, I'm going to eat a whole bunch of fruit, put some peanut butter in it and I'll be great. And I would eat it. And I would feel like like I had just had caffeine. And then like an hour later, I was so tired and, and I was so confused. Cause I'm like, everybody tells me I need to eat more fruit, but it's, it just is like, my body did not, <laughs> did not like that. So, so yeah, it's like you said, very individualized for each person. Yeah. And fruit, I mean, fruit's wonderful. Um, fruit is totally not off limits, um, in any way. Um, I think, you know, the sort of typical acai bowls that you can buy, that's yeah. about five, six servings of fruit at once. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's really, really difficult for anyone to kind of deal with that amount of carbs at once. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think maybe like a quarter of the size <laughs> of the acai bowl might be nice as a treat with some eggs on the side, maybe yeah. some protein powder. Yeah. 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 I hear that. And that was for me, I was like, oh, I'll make it myself and it'll be super healthy. But I wasn't, I mean, besides the peanut butter, I didn't have any, and my body does really well on high fat. Um, Mm -hmm. And like this, I know high fat, moderate to low carb, moderate protein. Um, But the higher fat I can go, the better. And yeah, I was just like, this is not, (laughs) it looks cute on Instagram, but like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, no, and, you know, that's an, a, another really good point is that, you know, we have to factor in bioindividuality. I mean, everybody responds differently to a different diet. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I did terribly when I tried to be vegan for a year after college. I was constantly having blood sugar crashes and it was like, it almost didn't matter how many nuts I was eating. I was yeah. eating so many nuts and it, <laughs> it wasn't making a difference for me. And just, you know, adding back a little bit of eggs, a little bit of, you know, fish, um, you know, instantly my blood sugar was more balanced. Mm. Yeah. It's just like, it's like a constant, um, like roller coaster of figuring it out. And that's why I think working with someone like, like you is really helpful because I know for me, it can get very overwhelming. And then I'll just go into my natural, like Midwest born of like, give me all the pasta and the carbs. And I mean, thankfully I wasn't brought up on tons of dairy, but the, you know, like the complex or not complex carbs, just like the the high spiking carbs is definitely something that, um, that I struggle with. So having someone like you to work through that and kind of figure out your bioindividuality is really important. Yeah. And getting to know, you know, what you can get away with and what you can't. <laughs> um, yeah. I like, I like that wiggle room. Like I know, um, I'm allergic to casein, so I can't have cheese and it makes me really, really sad. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I, I know I, I can get away with like a sprinkle of Parmesan in a restaurant. I'm not going to freak out about that, but like yeah. I cannot eat a whole wheel of a uh, baked brie like yeah. I would like to. <laughs> yeah, it can. I mean, I'm sure with the women that you work with, um, it can be really hard. I mean, eating is emotional and it is, um, you know, I know I've used it as forms of therapy for myself and it can be like a, a good emotion, a bad emotion, an in-between emotion. Um, it can be lack, it can be abundance, it can be all these different things. And so it can be, I think that's another good reason to work with someone because they can help you understand why you're feeling this way and kind of help you with that wiggle room. So it's not so black and white. Maybe it is that you can have, you know, and you can have eggs a couple of times a week. I'm just using eggs because some people have um, issues with eggs, but cheese, you know, you can have it once at a restaurant every few weeks and you'll be okay. But, um, but yeah, that it can be tricky with emotional, um, the emotional side of it. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot with my clients. And, you know, that's really one of the main reasons I don't recommend a, a really restrictive diet for yeah. PCOS. You know, there's just nothing indicating that cutting um, certain foods out of your diet um, is beneficial or necessary for PCOS. You know, I will say, because I do work with Hashimoto's in the context of PCOS, and I will say, you know, or for fertility, some of my fertility clients have it, um, you know, I will say there, there's like, oh, there actually is a little bit of evidence that yeah. cutting gluten might help. Um, on the other hand, it's always about like, well, how much of a hardship is it going to be for you to cut gluten? You know, where do they live? Do they live in, um, you know, a city where it, it's easy for them to get gluten-free substitutes? Or do they live in the middle of America where, you know, they're not even going to be able to find gluten-free bread? I mean, yeah. he, here it's so easy. Like every restaurant has gluten-free buns and gluten-free pasta, um, yeah. you know, but it really depends where you are, how hard it is going to be for you to follow a specialized diet. So we don't, we don't sweat it. I mean, I don't think it's very conclusive. I think it's one of those like, oh, this might help you. It's worth trying, but not if it's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so I really want to talk about your book and so you can, uh, can you tell us about why you wrote your book, what your book's about? And um, I'm excited for the listeners to hear about it. Yeah, I think, you know, there's really nothing like it out on the market. Most of the PCOS cookbooks and PCOS books, you know, especially the ones that come from the functional medicine community, um, you know, naturopaths are very restrictive. You Mm -hmm. know, they tell you cut gluten, cut dairy, cut sugar, cut, you know, all the things out of your diet. Um, And I think that that's where working with a dietitian is a little bit different because we literally are in the trenches with our clients every day as they're eating. And, you know, I'm seeing what they're eating. They're taking pictures and posting them to me and we're, you know, commenting. Um, So I know what happens when you tell someone not to eat something is they, they go as long as their willpower lasts them. And then the second they let their guard down, they eat a whole lot of it. You know, if you tell yourself like you can't have a cookie, then the first time you encounter cookies and (laughs) you know, you're in a vulnerable spot, you're going to eat a whole sleeve of cookies. So, um, you know, we, we really work on, you know, PCOS is a, a lifelong condition. So the diet, any diet changes you make have to be something you can envision yourself sustaining for a lifetime. Um, so I use a balanced approach. It's that blood sugar balancing approach. So um, every meal has a protein, a fat, and a fiber. Um, and then everything's anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another big component. Um, and then I include what I call PCOS power foods. So mm-hmm. these are foods that actually have some scientific evidence that they help with one of the components of PCOS. And you know, it's a fun way of adding flavor and also, you know, that functional foods aspect to your diet. So, you know, for example, uh, cinnamon, uh, there's tons of studies on cinnamon lowering blood sugar, Mm. uh, which is important for PCOS. Uh, Turmeric and ginger are really anti-inflammatory. So including those in your diet can help. So, you know, there are little kind of sneaky ways of, of helping some of your symptoms um, while adding flavor to the food. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, I feel like for me, I've done, you know, I've done AIP, I've done SIBO, I've done all these different diets where literally I can eat like meat <laughs> and it can be like really difficult. So hearing something about um, like, adding different flavors to your food and, and they can actually help, I think can be really exciting when you're kind of going into it. Um, I think anytime anyone tries to put you on a diet, it can be a little bit difficult, especially if, I mean, diet culture is a whole other, whole other can of worms, but like, you know, especially if it's something that triggers, um, previous experiences with dieting, but like, this sounds like a really cool option to be able to add different flavors and see that like, life isn't over. You can still eat good food and feel better. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not against elimination diets, especially when yeah. it comes to gut, gut stuff. I mean, yeah. doing, I've seen low FODMAP work like miracles in people. Um, yeah. I think, I think the problem happens when it becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, you're following this restrictive diet that was never meant to be a restrictive diet. It was meant to be an elimination phase. Um, and then I see people get so scared to add things back. Um, you know, I've actually seen the, the low FODMAP uh, researchers present and, you know, it's really a 
two weeks is how long you're supposed to be following that diet. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I see whole like pages dedicated to a low FODMAP lifestyle, I'm just like, no, let's yeah. get you eating more food, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually interesting because I definitely did a low FODMAP diet and it, it was very long and I ended up ending it because I was just like, I was still, you know, commuting into a job at that point And I was, um, it was just like, I don't have, I don't have the space to make up that much food. I live in this tiny apartment in Chicago and like all these things. Um, and it just, it wasn't, I wasn't seeing great enough results that it was, I mean, it was helping, but I was very worried, like how I can't keep this up forever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear because I do think with elimination diets, it can be really scary. Like, holy crap, I'm going to have to eat like this forever. I have nothing to eat <laughs> versus like, mm -hmm. no, this is to show you something so you can gain from it. Like, oh, okay, I can actually eat all this stuff except maybe not potatoes, like, or, you know, something like that. Yeah, we did it pretty strictly um, a few summers ago. My husband has ulcerative colitis, and oh, I was yeah. trying to see if we could figure out his triggers. And um, yeah, that was exactly how it is. The reintroduction phase is just as important as the elimination phase. And so, you know, able to see like, okay, I can get away with a little bit of cooked onions for him, but maybe not raw onions. And you know, I can eat like four cups of broccoli in a sitting, but I really do have to measure out his, you know, little pile of broccoli. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not fun for either of us. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so crazy. It's so individualized and it can change and there's, there's just, there's a lot, but it's, um, that's why, like I said before, it's good to work with a practitioner, um, with you, with someone like that who can help just help you through that because it can get difficult, but there, I mean, it can show you so much and it can help you become, you know, a mom if that's what you want to do or just help you along your like hormonal health and regular health journey for sure. Yeah. Dietitians, I always tell my clients this, dietitians look at food differently. Mm. So, you know, you might not see a pattern um, in the foods you're eating and the symptoms that you're having, but um, somebody who, you know, really knows food inside and out will be able to see, I can quickly glance down my, my client's food and see, oh, she's having trouble every time she eats a FODMAP or every time she has a high histamine food, she's mm. having loose stools. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just being able to look at your food through, through a different lens um, that you may not see the patterns of. Yeah. So, um, how can people get your book? I don't even know if you said the name of your book, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a, sorry, it's a balanced approach to PCOS and it actually came out, um, just a couple weeks ago. Um, it came out just in time for PCOS awareness month. Um, okay. it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places. Um, it's available in paperback and in Kindle. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'll have the links to all of that below so people can, can totally check that out. But if, um, if people wanted to get in contact with you or find you online for working with you or anything like that, how could they do that? So on Instagram, I am the dot hormone dot dietitian. Mm -hmm. um, my website is also the hormone dietitian, no dots. Um, find me in either of those two places. I'm on Instagram more than, more than other places. You can generally get me there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Instagram is, is the easiest. I feel like for a whole lot of us, it can also be difficult. Like we talked about in the beginning, but, Mm -hmm. um, so one question, one last question that I like to ask everyone is because I think it's interesting just in health in general, are what are some of your favorite routines or rituals that you do that help you feel your best? Yeah, I'm pretty strict about my bedtime. Mm. Um, I try to be in bed by 10 p.m. at the latest. Um, We actually have a rule with my husband, like he knows not to ask me any questions after 10 p.m. So (laughs) just like like the quality of answer you're going to get at that point is not very good. Um, You know, I, I don't often have a lot of control over what time I have to get up in the morning. So I really focus on, on the bedtime, especially during the week, maybe, maybe one night on the weekend, I'll stay up later. Um, You know, I, I definitely also really focus on, and I know this sounds silly to some people, but um, I really focus on feeding myself three meals a day. It sounds really simple, but when you are really busy and working and the, the type of person who can just, you know, get hyper-focused on work and forget to eat, um, you know, not doing my hormones or my stress levels any favors. So um, I do try to stop and feed myself a real meal uh, mm-hmm. during the day. That is such a good one. It's so funny. I was just talking to my husband about this the other day. I was always the girl who is like, when people say that they forget to eat, how, <laughs> how can you, I'm like planning every meal that I'm going to eat today. But ever since I started working from home exclusively, which for me started a little bit before the pandemic. So I got a little used to it before everybody else did. But, um, that has been harder for me. I thought it would be easier, but when I was at work, I wanted to get away from my computer. I wanted to walk away, but even now it's like my lunch is a little bit more fluid. I'm like, I'm already on the computer. So I could talk to someone on a podcast or I could answer my podcast emails or go on Instagram or things like that. And then all of a sudden it's like three and I'm going into a meeting and I'm like, shit, I didn't eat again. (laughs) Like, so it's so important to like really consider that almost like an appointment with yourself, I feel like. Yeah, no, I'm looking at the time now like, okay, I think I have about a half hour before the next thing. I yeah. can probably <laughs> squeeze in a smoothie, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I did have breakfast today. I, I, I did make breakfast, which, yes. you know, pretty Yeah. So you did that. We're good. And we'll get you (laughs) off so you can have your smoothie. But is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners of the show today? Just hormones are really complicated. And I think, you know, from from a lot of the stuff you read online, um, it's like, take this magical hormone balancing supplement um, and it will, you know, fix all of your problems. And, you know, you really can't. You've got to work on that base stuff. First, you got to be sleeping. You got to be feeding yourself three meals a day. You've got to be working on stress management, um, and the the supplements can be helpful, but you know they're not the first step. And you know they really need to be targeted to your exact issues. So, um, you know, work on the sleep and the stress and the feeding yourself, and and you're three quarters of the way there. Yeah. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Melissa. It was so wonderful getting to know you and to talk to you.